we're real people experiencing real things. And just because we're experiencing those real things differently than the rest of society doesn't make us any less human. Think about the way the world is and the way that the world could be. All of our systems are interrelated and interdependent. There's a thousand different voices that nobody hears. We're looking at a human being, and there's life story. 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 Connection to the people we don't know that live near us. An elevated Denver starts now. Welcome back to the Elevated Denver podcast, where we're bringing key topics and stories about homelessness to light. Today, we are going to hear from Quica Montoya. Although Quica is well-known in Denver for running the Safe Outdoor Spaces program and being an advocate for the unhoused, today we get personal and hear her story of substance use, homelessness, and healing. I'm here with Leanne, Jana, and Myra, through the episode, you'll hear Jana and Myra asking our guest questions and Leanne tying some threads together through the narration. I think you'll enjoy this episode, so stay with us. Hi, I'm Myra. I'm a peer producer here with Jana, a co-producer, and we're here with Quika. Quika, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? I am just a regular woman from Denver, but I work in homelessness services. I work for the Safe Outdoor Space. I'm the program director for that. But my journey's been a little unusual, to say the least. <laughs> I bet a lot of us have an unusual <laughs> journey. Yeah. You want to tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what that was like? So I grew up here in central Denver. I was transplanted from San Jose, California. My mom was unfortunately fleeing domestic violence. Uh, so she moved me and my sister out here. And, you know, life was, I don't know, kind of normal. She was a teacher. She met my stepdad when I, when I was about six. And I grew up in Park Hill, so I went to Phillips Elementary. It's no longer around. And then I went to East High School. I transferred, though, and graduated from Kennedy. Growing up, I would say I didn't really notice that I didn't feel a part of until I was, I don't know, maybe fifth or sixth grade. I felt, I don't know, just a different than other people. I was, you know, part of a church, so I was like that religious kid in school. But it wasn't until I started getting bullied about looking like a boy that I just didn't really, like, feel a part of. And so, I, I mean, I didn't realize that affected me as much as it did until later on. So I felt different. And then, like, cruising along, I ended up getting into high school. Like, I grew my hair out. I started to look like a girl. And I don't know, like... People were paying attention to me and being nice to me, and it, it just led to some kind of, like, unhealthy behaviors as a teenager. I got pregnant when I was 16. I ended up placing my son for open adoption, and I didn't realize this at the time, but, like, I just—I shut down after that. Like, I didn't do anything. I didn't take care of myself. I didn't do any, like, grief counseling. And so I just shut down and I just didn't want 
to get hurt anymore. Some really key people in my life during that time kind of abandoned me as well. So it was, I think, you know, my stepdad at the time, he just, I don't think he knew what, what to do. I don't think anybody really knew what to do, but he definitely didn't know what to do. So, like, it really affected his and I's relationship. And then my youth pastor, it affected his and I's relationship. I've learned so much in my journey of, like, where, how, how it led. Because, like, just somebody becoming homeless is not just, like, tomorrow, <laughs> like, I'm going to be homeless, right? When I hit college, that was I was introduced to alcohol, and that became, like, my first love affair. I was pretty much a binge drinker from the start. Like I got decent grades, but I also was going to lose my scholarship because they weren't, like, great. So I ended up dropping out. I started building this career in kind of like it started out just like basic office support, right? But I ended up getting a really cool job at a commercial real estate company. And I think I was just, I had something to prove, you know, because I had done these like th things that, you know, looked bad or whatever. There was a lot of judgment. There was a lot of shame. And so this career was the next thing that, like, made me feel better about myself. So it was, like, money and success became my new goal. It also was kind of okay to party. It was just kind of, it was part of the scene. I worked in that industry for about seven years. I also during that time met my daughter's father. We were both really, like, into outward successes. And we made a lot of money, and we partied a lot, and it affected our relationship. He ended up leaving me, and I became very depressed. And I think it was, like, the big trigger to why I started sinking. So I just ended up using what I knew at that time to make me feel good. And it was drugs and alcohol, a lot of cocaine, a lot of tequila. And I ended up just hitting the implode button on my life in about six months flat. I got ended up getting fired from my job. My house went into foreclosure. I caught criminal charges, so I caught a first set of felonies. And I, I just didn't, I didn't recognize my life. It was like, <laughs> what is this? I tried to, like, get back on my feet, but I just, I never really, like, looked at the root causes of why I was doing what I was doing. And so you know, a few failed attempts at trying to get my life back on track ended up not doing well. And I I ended up experiencing housing instability, which then couch hopping turns into, I, I didn't have a place to stay after that. So I started experiencing homelessness in the city I grew up in. I experienced homelessness for three years. Growing up, Quika felt like an outcast. Her life took a turn when she was 16, got pregnant, and gave her child up for adoption. She carried lingering trauma from that experience. Trauma is a common theme we've heard about throughout our interviews. When people cannot get the support or services they need, they can get into a vicious cycle of homelessness that is tough, if not impossible, for them to break out of on their own. Quika shared her own experience with homelessness the trauma she suffered, and how she was able to heal with the support of a community. During that time when you were having housing instability and then you found yourself 
without a home and a place to stay. Mm-hmm. Was your family an option at that point to call or, or go back to? You know, I had kind of burned some bridges. The reason why it was housing instability is because, you know, I, I didn't have a job. I, I didn't have money for my own place. So I was staying with friends and, you know, I just wasn't doing well. But my family, you know, they didn't, they wanted to see me do better I was, like, really running from a lot of my experiences and feeling a lot of shame around it, and I didn't want to feel that. So I just changed the way that I felt, and how I changed the way that I felt was through drugs and alcohol. So it sounds like you had some support with some friends, but I was wondering, was there any other supports that you went through while you were unhoused? So my street family, that was the support system that, I mean, my family, I, w- I mean, I would hit them up every now and then, but it was few and far between because they started to have boundaries with me, which was really good because they needed to take care of themselves, right? They were also really scared. So I just kind of distanced myself. So I, I built like a street family, a street community. So I had like a crew of people that we all looked out for one another, What kind of supports did you see along the way, and how did you get there? I was in jail. I think it was like my mid-30s. I was like, what am I doing with my life? And when I got out, my mom was willing to help. She was like, you can stay with me for a couple weeks. We made a ton of phone calls just trying to find somewhere for me to go. And she ended up learning about the Ruth Goebel program with the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless. And little did I know that that would be like the next step to like what a new life would look like. So it, the Ruth Goebel program is a kind of transitional group living environment for people who have experienced chronic homelessness and with co-occurring mental health and substance misuse disorders. It wasn't the, you know, the most comfortable environment. You share a tiny little room with somebody, but you get access to care. You have a roof over your head. You get fed every day. And I think at that point I I had reached, I was actually willing to look at why I was always hitting that, like, self-destruct button. So I started seeking mental health care. I would say that was one of the biggest catalysts because I don't think that I was ever willing, you know, growing up in the time I grew up, there there was still such a stigma. There is still a stigma, but there was an even bigger one back then. It kind of said to me there would be something wrong with me if I sought out care. So I never did until, until I was at the coalition program. And, you know, I was diagnosed with some depression and generalized anxiety and started, you know, going to therapy and, and, and taking some meds. And I lived there for about 14 months. I did relapse one time and I almost, so I had about 11 months. And then my aunt died. And then a friend that I knew in the program, the recovery program that I was in, passed away. And it was like grief. And relationships were, like, the last big two pieces to my puzzle that, that like, I've never grieved. So, thankfully, that Ruth Grobo program, they gave me another opportunity to start over. And I ended up transitioning into an apartment 
over at uh, West End Flats, one of Colorado Coalition for the Homeless Buildings, and, you know, just kind of hit that reset button, started over again. I think it was like a full-time job, just healing. And I was so grateful for that program and the Coalition for the Homeless because, I mean, it gave me an opportunity to just heal and just take care of myself for the first time pretty much ever in my life, you know, that it started living there at the the coalition. I had a lot of community around me, and that was really beneficial. Research shows that the feeling of being part of a community is one of the most important factors for someone exiting homelessness and staying housed. Quika shared more about her path out of homelessness. She noted the critical role of community connection in her journey and how that has informed her current purpose and profession. I didn't have my real estate license anymore, so I didn't know what I was going to do. Like, that was my main career. I just had a lot of anxiety. I had a lot of shame. I, I looked like crap on paper. And so... I stopped looking for something. So when I started looking, I was looking, okay, let me look for administrative assistant or let me look for, you know, something low. And then the anxiety just, it it took over. I can't do this. So (laughs) I I saw this Facebook ad. It was right when Illegal Pete's was opening their Colfax location. And I was like, they were really cool. You know, I, I had always had tattoos. So, like, I loved the fact that they could have their tattoos out. And they interviewed me. They gave me a job. The job gave me so much. I think it was where I, like, built my self-confidence that, like, I could be a productive member of society again. I think right around that time, my heart started pounding for something a little bit more. You know, obviously, when you go through an experience that I went through, uh, there were a lot of really crappy things that happened. So I was also really passionate about women and homelessness. So when I experienced homelessness, there was really only that one really big shelter. And I just didn't, I didn't want to go there. I had heard some scary things about it. So I wasn't one that sought inside shelter. I opted to either be bouncing around on the streets. You know, sometimes we'd scrape together enough to get a hotel. So women in homelessness was really important for me. I also started volunteering for the Women's Homelessness Initiative. I did overnights for them. I I got insomnia when I got kind of sober and without drugs and alcohol. So I was like, sure, I'll do overnights. But it was great. That kind of got my heart pounding a little bit for something more. And I heard about this training called peer support training. And when I read into it, it it was like my first aha moment. I'm like, wait, you can, you're telling me that like all this like perceived like negative stuff can actually qualify me for something. (laughs) (laughs) So I signed up for peer support training. My path just started lighting up pretty much since joining that coalition program. But it was just like little steps kept kind of like lighting my pathway. And my first job was at the Denver Public Library as a peer navigator. I don't think I could have a more epic first peer job. It was an innovative program pairing peer navigators with social workers in the Denver Public Library. And if you could see anybody bloom and come into their own, you would have seen me bloom and come into my own. When I was outside, I spent time at 
the library. That's like where I, I like logged on to Facebook to tell my family I was still alive. You know, it's also where I got out of the elements. So it was pretty epic to be there in that space, doing that work for other people just like me. And so I started participating on committees and testifying for state legislature. And not a lot of people like to talk about some of their worst moments, but it became something really cathartic for me, almost. Not only was I helping other people by being vulnerable and honest with my story, I was helping move like this conversation forward. We're real people experiencing real things and just because we're experiencing those real things differently than the rest of society doesn't make us any less human. Let's take a quick break. These stories can be hard to hear. They often remind us of parts of our own lives or the lives of loved ones. And none of us is immune to the feeling of hopelessness while facing tragedy or a confluence of rough circumstances. But we also know what hope feels like, seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. Making progress comes in different forms for all of us, as we will hear. Stay with us. Wicked discussed her role at the Denver Public Library as a peer navigator, how she got connected to Cole Chandler, the former executive director of the Colorado Village Collaborative, who we heard from in season one, and how she came to lead the Safe Outdoor Spaces program. It was an experience when somebody is like, okay, we need lived experience at the table. That was really monumental for me because not only was I working now, people wanted to hear from me. That advocacy led me to some of my next roles. And then COVID hit. They ended up having to lay off half their staff. So when I got laid off, you know, it happened in the most quick way it could have happened. I was cleaning out my desk. I picked up my last check. I got in my car and I experienced, you know, like, I was having anxiety, as with a lot of the world, but also another level of anxiety because it, it kicks into my, you know, feeling not good enough sometimes and with my background and my paper trail and all that stuff. I get in my car, I do like this big sigh, I just go check my phone. And I had a message on my LinkedIn from Cole Chandler. And I was like, hey, we put together this proposal for taking care of our unhoused community during COVID. Are you interested in talking about it? Somebody gave me your name or something. And it was somebody from the a committee I had served on. And, you know, Cole was specifically looking for somebody that could lead that program with shared experiences with the people that we're, we're serving. And now I'm the director of the Safe Outdoor Space Program. We have three safe outdoor spaces, and I'm serving up to 150 people a night. And I don't know. I never thought that I would be where I'm at today, but it feels really amazing to, God, I, I don't even know how to put words to how I feel. It's very purposeful work because, like, I'm leading a purpose. We're also serving with a purpose. Safe Outdoor Spaces, or SOSs, are run by the Colorado Village Collaborative. SOS sites are basically city-sanctioned campsites where people experiencing homelessness receive 24-hour shelter, hygienic services, 
like showers, hand-washing and laundry stations, and wraparound services like connections to job training and case management. You may remember hearing about safe outdoor spaces in Season 1, Episode 5, where we toured an SOS site and spoke to Alan, a resident at the time. Denver Mayor Mike Johnston has signaled support for expanding safe outdoor spaces as part of his strategy to end homelessness. In addition to giving people a place to call their own, the safe outdoor spaces also give them a place to build and reconnect with the greater Denver community. Our safe outdoor spaces are kind of like a temporary managed site. We have 24-7 staff. We have some folks that come into this work through education. We have some folks that come into this work with their lived experience. It just, everybody wants to be there, though, which is pretty amazing. We also wanted to reduce the number of barriers people had accessing shelter. So we identify the gaps in the current sheltering system, which are, you know, uh, curfews can sometimes be a barrier, people with pets, people with mobility challenges, couples. We have a large disparity of racial disparities on sheltered homelessness. So we have a commitment to addressing that huge gap. And, you know, LGBTQ folks don't always feel safe in genderized sheltering systems. So, like, we really try to serve the, the folks that experience barriers accessing shelter. And it's a meet people where they're at model. We try to bring as many things into the space as possible so that you can figure out, first of all, you can rest and then figure out that next step. So like you heard on my journey, it took me 14 months, maybe even 16 months to get my first job out of homelessness. So, you know, obviously I infuse the spaces with my own experience, safety, comfort, no pressures, no requirements to do certain things by a certain time. We encourage people to start thinking about their next steps, but we don't prescribe a journey in our spaces. We bring in services to help connect people to community. So we bring in case management, outreach services come in. We have medical, dental, mental health, connections to substance misuse. So we actually have operations staff, and now we have peer support in our spaces. So we bring in all these services, basically try to help get folks connected to what they need to make the next steps in their journey. But I, I also like to focus on the space inside of the safe outdoor spaces is really important because it builds community and it lets people know that they're not alone. So I see successes as somebody who's really grumpy that doesn't want to communicate and like just wants to be left the F alone. <laughs> <laughs> Starting to open up and have a conversation with us, that is a huge success. Somebody, you know, coming in and saying, hey, I probably should work on my anger. This seems to be something that repeats in my life. That's a huge success. Somebody that wants to look at what does it look like to not have alcohol or drugs in my life? That's a success. Seeking mental health care for the first time, that's a success. So I don't want to get stuck on just being a, a pipeline to housing. I, I think housing is obviously the solution to homelessness, but it also doesn't tell the full story of our experiences inside of our safe outdoor spaces. 
And really what my mission is, is to like serve people with purpose in a different way than they have been being served. We recently caught up with Quika at the 13th Avenue SOS. She gave us a tour, told us what's provided there, and talked about the role she believes safe outdoor spaces play in response to the homelessness crisis. You, in your story, talked a lot about community and how instrumental that was to you moving forward and feeling like you were able to heal. So tell me about what you're trying to cultivate here in terms of community. One of the first things I did when I helped create this program was to make sure that we have staff that have lived experience that can kind of break down the walls and build that trust instantaneously. I also bring as many organizations that want to come in here, partnering with them to bring kind of all those community connections inside this space so that it, it's you can walk out of your front door and connect with folks. I'm trying to make it as easy as possible, kind of informed by my own journey. You have mentioned your own lived experience has helped inform your model, and you have been a part of this since the beginning. You really yes. have created this. Do, is there anything else you'd like to share? We have over 70% of our staff have lived experience. And what that does is it fosters an environment of recovery and resiliency. And recovery doesn't necessarily just mean from substance misuse. It means recovery from trauma, from mental health challenges, from the criminal court system, recovery from trauma, homelessness, all of it. Recovery is such an inclusive word. So what we are trying to do here is really set the stage. We're trying to be different because the status quo isn't working, not for everybody. Just if you could speak to your own vision of how SOS sites and tiny home villages under your creation exist in this ecosystem of housing and homelessness. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously what, what we are is that everybody deserves dignity of living with basic resources like bathroom showers, meals, electricity, things that you need to begin your own journey of recovery. So I see them as a, like a beginning step towards like what, what does it look like to even think about recovering from homelessness. You can't even begin that journey until you have a safe place to lay your head at night. We need a safe place to have people who are sleeping outside have, like be and exist and, and, and take care of themselves. So I see it as an important first step. I don't see it as an end-all, be-all. While we were at the SOS site, we were able to talk to Randall, a resident, He shared how he got there and his hopes moving forward. Randall, tell us a little bit about what brought you to to here, to this SOS site. Well, I was recently in a fire in a tent. So I woke up on fire, whole body just covered in flames. The suit that I had on was burning. But thank God it was one of those freezer suits, that 30 below, things like that. And it, it kept me from burning all the way. But it caught my face and my hands. I was in the recovery center. They reached out to me and asked me, did I want to come to their site? And I was like, wow, okay. They did so much to make sure that I had a roof over my head and that I was taken care of. And I get here and I meet people like Quicker. 
she's she's just out there. Man, she's man, she like a superhero. It's all walks of life in here. And she's helping them all, like, no favoritism. She's just putting her hands out there and like, here, I'm here to help you up, you know? And it's like, it's people like that, that we need the recognition for. You know, they make you feel at home. You know, they come check on you, do these things called wellness checks, just to talk with you and chat with you for a minute, just like we're doing, just to see where you are and how you're doing. And that means a lot. It's a great feeling to know someone has your back. The Safe Outdoors place is a great place to get your foot back in the door, to get started back on the right path, because I know a lot of people are lost they don't know what to do. What's your hope for yourself? Well, to be housed, I want to make sure that I get in the right place and do the right thing. So, you know, a location is everything. The first place they offered me location was terrible, but they didn't know. They didn't know. That's why it's important to give people all the information that they need so they can place you in the right spot. Now that they know, I'm pretty sure I'll be placed in the right spot that's gonna see me succeed, nest and filling. So that's the thing is to succeed and not to end up back in places like this, just to move forward from the little stumbling block we just ran across. We talked with Randall as he was making himself breakfast in the communal kitchen. He was hopeful about the future and grateful for having a space at the SOS and for Quika. It was obvious as Randall talked with everyone who walked by that he was a part of a community. Quika summarized the importance of not only cultivating community at the SOSs, but also allowing residents to guide their own path forward. You've talked about community and that sense of belonging and being seen and heard and understood and having people in your realm that see and hear and understand you. And then this concept of dignity, that your life is actually worth living and people feeling that way and sharing that with each other. Is there anything else that it's really important for our listeners to really understand about either of those concepts and how important they are and how we think about this whole issue of houselessness and how we support our neighbors who are having these experiences. In today's society, we have gotten more separate and distant. We have friend groups, right? But, like, when you think about, like, your community is the people that you're living around, the people that you walk by on the street. That's your community, not just, like, your small friend group. Your community is your community. We've lost the most important thing, which is connection to the people we don't know that live near us. You take the most isolating experience of your life, which trauma is isolating. Losing, like, a family home and experiencing homelessness is isolating. So these all these separate experiences that people wind up experiencing like homelessness becomes the most isolating experience of your life. It's dark and then you build community with, you know, folks experiencing homelessness. If you still feel like you're isolated, then it's easy to stay or do the things that you've always done. And I think 
you could eventually get right back into the cycle if you still feel isolated, if you still feel like you're not a part of a community, then you're also not like, you know, doing whatever those next steps look like for you. Like it can look like anything. And but if you have people around you that are that are cheering you on and that are saying, yeah, I'm here for it. Tell me what you want. I'll cheer you along to get you to where you're at. When you have that community around you, you really can achieve almost anything. I really appreciate you sharing your time with us and telling your story and telling us all the information that can help the next person and letting our audience know that there's more to it than just the norm that most people expect. Thank you. Thanks to Randall for sharing his story. And thanks to Quika for spending time with us talking about the importance of having time to heal from trauma, the significance of community, and the innovative programs she's running at the Colorado Village Collaborative. Tune in next time for our final episode of Season 2, The System. Homelessness is not the issue. It is the outcome of other systems failing all at once. And so when we look at things like child welfare, education, healthcare, criminal justice, these are all systems that directly have pipelines into homelessness. Those other systems disproportionately affect black, indigenous, and people of color, which is why we see them overrepresented three to five times in the number of people experiencing homelessness. And it's a direct result of failures of those systems. And until we address those, we are not going to be able to solve for homelessness. The Elevated Denver Podcast is produced by Leanne Morrison, Myra Nagy, and Jonna Flood. Narration brought to you by me, Nathan Havey. Editing, sound design, and music are composed and provided by Jesse Boynton. Recording and production provided by the Olympic Recording Studio. If you found this episode interesting and would like to learn more about our work, please visit us at elevateddenver.co. And don't forget to let others in the community know about this podcast. It's going to take all of us to build an elevated Denver. Denver.